say it takes 17 years after the research shows something before it actually gets integrated into the average doctor's day-to-day practice. I don't think we have 17 years here. We have a huge mental health epidemic right now. We were at a crisis point. Before the pandemic, it was something like 20% of people who had a mental health disorder, and it's only gotten worse. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak. They talk to you. They will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Psilocybin Says. If you've not been with us before, well, I am your co-host, Eric Osborne. My wife, Courtney, will also be joining us in this episode as we talk with the wonderful Dr. Erica Zelfand. Psilocybin Says is a lifestyle podcast centered around, you guessed it, psilocybin. Psilocybin is an incredible self-development tool. It's an incredible spiritual development tool. And we are just scratching the surface as a culture regarding the benefits of this wonderful medicine, or as we like to call it, a sacrament. In this podcast, you're going to hear us talking with Dr. Zelfan about her own personal journey with psilocybin and how it has helped her recover from depression, become a better healer, and just a better citizen overall. There's a lot of really valuable information in this podcast, as you can imagine. But before we get into it, just let me remind you of the gift that I would like to share with our community. That is the Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time, free online forum with me called on psilocybin that's right you can come and be on psilocybin with me how you do that well you can either go to the psilocybin says youtube page at seven and watch for us to go live we are also broadcasting via facebook live trying to work out the linkedin thing it hasn't been as accommodating as we'd like it to be but we're gonna gonna make sure that happens and we're also gonna make sure we have a great conversation anything and everything as it relates to psilocybin. And I can relate just about everything to psilocybin. So join us for On Psilocybin live on Mondays, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, soon to be Instagram. Also, Courtney and I are launching a new integration program that's going to be a weekly offering, a subscription-based program where Once a week, you can get online with our community via Zoom and talk about your experiences, get some insights and some skills to help integrate those further, put the lessons of the mushroom into practice into your daily life so that you can make the most out of your mushroom experiences. You can find out more about that at psilocybinsays.com. You can also email us at, it's a little funky, psilocybinsays at morethanintegration.com. So if that's something you're interested in being a part of, it's a very affordable subscription. And for those of you who are members of Sanctuary, it's half-priced. It's going to be a really great place to gather and explore the endless growth that can come from your psilocybin experiences. Look forward to seeing you there. But for now, let's get to this great conversation with Dr. Erica Zelfand. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome to Psilocybin Says. Today, we're talking with the beautiful Dr. Zelfand. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Uh, yeah, it's good. That works. Zel <laughs> no, just, no, how do you on. pronounce your name? How do you pronounce it? Uh, it's a, this is actually a debate in my family where my mother says Zelfand and my father says Zelfand. So uh, either one works or something in the middle also works. So <laughs> for this reason, a lot of people just call me Dr. Erica or Dr. Z or just Erica also works. Happens to be my name, so it's fine. Awesome. <laughs> I kind of like Dr. Z. Yeah. That's fun. Like so, so Dr. Z is a family doctor specializing in functional medicine and integrative uh, mental health, psychedelic facilitator, international speaker, and group hug initiator. I'm reading straight off, <laughs> straight off of your Instagram profile, um, but I can definitely feel that you would be a group hug initiator. Mm -hmm. so thank you so much for being here today and talking with us. I'm so looking forward to this. Likewise. My only regret is that we're not in person, so we can't end it with a group hug. But <laughs> yeah, in time. Group hug is a feeling yeah. too, though. <laughs> for right. sure, for sure. And I feel like we have so many things in common and people in common now that it's almost inevitable that that day will come. So yeah. yeah, Erica came to us. Well, I mean, Erica and I connected what a year or two ago. Uh, I think you reached, pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, mm -hmm. you reached out to us when we were down at Mico, uh, mm -hmm. I think, or I can't remember if we reached out to you or how that started. Uh, but interestingly enough, two of your good friends who we just had on our podcast are a part of Sanctuary. And it's, it's really awesome to see how this psychedelic community is so interconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mycelial network expands and weaves in and out of itself. And then now you're down in Jamaica right there, mm -hmm. our, our old stomping grounds. Mm -hmm. uh, how's yeah. that going? Uh, it's it's going great. The ocean's right there. It says mm -hmm. hi. Um, it's been rainy the last few days, uh, which the mosquitoes loved. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's been a little challenging the last few days. But um, other than that, I can't complain. I'm eating a lot of papaya and callaloo <laughs> and... Um, I've discovered Bami, which is just mm -hmm. delightful, fried in butter. Ooh, so mm -hmm. can you tell I'm a foodie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I understand. We just got back from Costa Rica. Eric officiated oh the first sanctuary wedding. Mm -hmm. Two of our members there. On 22222. I saw yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And so people keep asking me how it was. And I'm like, well, there's uh, dark chocolate. Uh, great coffee and kombucha everywhere you go. Yep. So I loved it. <laughs> yep. yep, and tropical. Oh, and I should mention, also in Jamaica, I'm working with psilocybin, <laughs> helping facilitate groups. Whoops. Yeah, that's, that's what brought me here. Um, yeah. And that's that's been uh, very very inspiring, uh, uh, beautiful. Kind of pinching myself, like, is this for involved mm. in that? Um, and also some yeah. emotional triggers and challenges, holding a lot of people in very intense energy when they're very psychically open and projecting all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff all over the place. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it hasn't been easy, but it's been meaningful. Yeah, it's uh, it's challenging work for sure. Yeah, uh, so so let's. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> also, also know that right there where you're staying, you got to watch out for the crocodiles, especially after the rain. 
<laughs> Don't tell me that. Are you for real? Oh, I'm for real. Yeah. We've got pictures to yeah, prove it. I, that, ro that road where you're staying on, I walked up on a nine foot crocodile one night at like 10 p.m. with this 65 year old woman. It was it was quite an event. Yeah, I poked it with a wow. stick. <gasps> it, did, it didn't respond well. Oh <laughs> so anyway. Oh, <laughs> I'm really glad you told me that. And I'm also very not OK with you telling me that. <laughs> Well, the You'll good thing about Jamaican crocodiles Just... is they're notoriously uh, more chill than other crocodiles. That That is a fact. Yeah, just so, don't poke okay. them with a stick. Just don't poke them with a stick. Okay. So let's talk about your work with psilocybin. I mean, and, and if anything you want to talk about, what, what you're, you know, how things are going down there at Myco and kind of what you're seeing, we'd love to hear some of that. I spoke actually with... Uh, um, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or actually, Lucia. excuse me, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> okay favorite people in the world. I mean, she is, she, de she delivered a message to me from the mushroom two years ago or from whatever is behind the mushroom that, mm -hmm. um, it, it humbled and shook me, you know, as you I'm sure know in this work mm -hmm. so often we are privileged to information and experiences that defy explanation yeah. and, she is a yeah she's a beautiful soul and uh, she she told me she had a wonderful experience down there and uh gave me some some more messages from the mushroom okay yeah, uh, i love her so dearly i love that phrase you just used eric of messages from the mushroom i feel like that could be i think psilocybin says is a catchier name but but messages from the mushroom like if you ever write a book, maybe that could be the title, and then mm -hmm. you can give me a royalty later. It's we'll we'll see, yeah. I, got, <laughs> I, I, I got I got a few names rolling around my head, but anyway, let's get let's get to your work with psilocybin mm -hmm. and what you experience and what you for yourself and through others and and just what you'd like to share with the world about your experience with psilocybin. Sure. Wow. It sounds like I have carte blanche to just go for it. Is there anything in particular diving off point, or should should we just? let's just start with let's what's on top start. what's on top of your mind yeah where, um let's... what's on top of my mind is actually um a, a personal story that is one that i've been sitting on for a long time wondering if i ever would share it publicly and it's just feels like it's bubbling up right now for sharing so um i went through like many people in this industry uh i went through a real dark night of the soul in my life, there were a real rough few years there. Um, and as someone who works in healthcare and as someone who has a public eye on them, there was a lot of shame around going through that rough time because I'm expected to be this pillar of strength and unrelenting positivity and optimism and for other people. And that was really not where I was at in my own life. I felt like I was I was really eager to, to help myself however I could and to sort of refuse that that was going to be how I was going to spend the rest of my life, uh, just sort of faking it to make it. Um, and so I tried a number of things. I tried uh, microdosing mushrooms, just made me feel worse, actually. It sort of turned up the dial on anxiety and, and kind of like neurotic thinking. That is, uh, ketamine, you know, various other substances. And there was one day uh, where I was with three of my best friends 
on a beautiful beach where there weren't very many people. You might have heard the story from a different angle. Um, and my three friends, these are just three of my favorite people on this whole planet. And we all kind of have been scattered to different corners of the globe. So when we get together, it's very precious. And they really, really wanted to eat mushrooms that day. And I really was not feeling it. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm going through a rough patch in my life. I don't want to look at my shadow today. I just want to relax on the beach with my friends, but that's going to be weird if y'all are eating mushrooms. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to eat a gram just to like be in the vibe that my friends are in, maybe get like the giggles, get the psilocybin tears and just sort of like be in the zone and maybe be supportive to my friends while being in the same energy. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ate a gram of Azzy's Psilocybe Azure Essence, which are a potent strain of mushroom um, that were actually foraged less than a mile from where we were sitting, right there, so lo locally sourced. Um, and I had the most powerful psychedelic experience I've ever had in my life on one gram of Azzy's. And I've taken all the drugs at all the different dose ranges. Mm -hmm. Uh, so when people kind of talk about this needing to do a heroic dose, um, mm. some folks might need that, but, you know, bigger isn't always better. Um, and in my dark night of the soul, I was never frankly suicidal, but just these thoughts would come up from time to time of like, maybe we should just peace out. Like, I don't know, this is really hard. I don't know if there's gonna be an end to this. And my response was just like, oh, you again? Like, I don't want you coming around here. Like, what are you doing popping up in my head? And it was just, I just felt so exhausted by these thoughts that were coming up, even though I was not going to act on them. Um, but what happened on that one gram of Azzy's experience was I visualized my sister with her, one of her baby boys, my sister has four beautiful boys, and one of her baby boys in my visualization, he was playing with a pair of very sharp scissors. And she bent over and very softly said, sweetie, you can't play with those, that's dangerous, and tried to take the scissors out of his hand and he wouldn't let her take them. And because she loves her little boy, she had to do some tough love and she had to grab his wrist with one hand and with the other pry his fingers off of those scissors and take the scissors away. Mm. And as she did this, he got very upset and started crying because mommy took away the toy that he wanted to play with and he had his little baby tantrum about it. And she walked away and put the scissors high up on a shelf and she said, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a terrible mother for saving your life not letting you stab your eyes out with a pair of scissors. Yes, yes, I know, I'm a horrible mother. Like she said it sort of sarcastically. And I realized that that was what the mushrooms were doing for me in that moment, where if these really tormenting thoughts were just coming around in my psyche, they were like the pair of scissors. And I felt like the mushroom and my inner healer were working together to tear the scissors out of my hand in that metaphorical sense. And I threw myself a big baby tantrum. I um, scream cried. I don't know for how long, maybe it was just five minutes, but it was from a very deep 
place. And it really was like a painful tantrum. And my three friends got up and stood around me and group hugged me. Group hugs are medicine. And just held me while I screamed and cried. And those scissors have really been put away high up on that shelf ever since that day. Um, and I really credit the medicine of psilocybin and the medicine of good friends and a safe container mm. for that very deeply transformational, very deeply healing life experience. And it wasn't everything I needed. I still needed to do other things to, to support my mental health and support me. Like when I think of what was that like pivotal moment where I started coming up from rock bottom, it was that day on the beach mm -hmm. with my friends. Mm. Wow. What a beautiful share that was. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think what is really important and really valuable in that is sharing that even, and sometimes especially those who are in health care, mental health work are in need of their own healing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is probably something that is not talked about enough. Um, although most people, it seems like most of the people that I've worked with who have gone into any form of therapy have done so because they have been trying to also overcome their own challenges. Mm -hmm. And it's so valuable in the people that we work with that they know that we suffer too, Yeah, that, that this is the human condition mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be, you know, the, it doesn't have to be like this forever, but this is part of being human is experiencing suffering and experiencing support mm -hmm. and all the growth that comes along with it. Yeah, you know, there is there is this cliche of the wounded healer, and it's it's really one that I've not been wanting to play out. You know, I think that you can be an incredible healer without having been wounded, but also show me a human that isn't wounded. Exactly. You know? So exactly. show me someone that is an entirely sane, well-adjusted, healthy like. Mm -hmm. You know, to your point, Eric, it's it is part of the human condition and in medical training and in the in the medical field and and i do kind of want to differentiate between healers and doctors because mm -hmm. a lot of doctors aren't healers mm -hmm. so in the the medical training a lot of our weakness gets beaten out of it, us with that weakness comes vulnerability compassion for ourselves mm -hmm. and other people but a kind of denial of one's own frail human state. Mm. You know, 75% of medical residents are on antidepressant medication. I'm not saying that antidepressants are necessarily a bad thing, but when 75% of a population needs to be on antidepressants, that's a sign that there's something wrong with that culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by the time somebody who works in the conventional healthcare model says, I need help, they're really far gone. Mm. They're at, so the point at which 
most other people would throw up their hands and say, I need help with this. That's the point at which someone in the healthcare profession would like roll their eyes at themselves and keep chugging along and, you know, march another 10 miles on that broken leg. So then by the time they actually sit down and say, I can't get up, like that's a pretty bad injury to that leg, you know, to use that metaphor. Um, and for that reason, I both enjoy and find it very challenging to help other healthcare providers, other therapists, other doctors, because they've got it so bad. <laughs> they, need this, they need this medicine so badly. And, and we're even seeing this now with um, studies on psychedelics are being done on healthcare providers who are burnt out from working through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. right? that's, that's a demographic that mm -hmm. is being targeted with psychedelic research right now. We need our healers. We need our healers to be strong so that they can hold us. And they're not allowed to, to ask for help. One last point I want to make on that is um, in 20, what year? 2021, just last year, I took a sabbatical and I spent some few months in Mexico where I was working at Ibogaine treatment facilities. And most of the people who were coming down for Ibogaine treatment were there for opiate addiction. I was shocked at how many of our patients were doctors. Mm -hmm. And many of them were doctors who were highly functioning. Nobody at work or in their life knew that they were addicted to opiates, including the guy that was injecting fentanyl 20 times a day. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them were coming to Mexico for two reasons. One, I began as legal in Mexico, so you can get it really safely there. But two, they tried to get treatment in the United States, they would be reported to their boards mm -hmm. and their medical mm -hmm. licenses would be suspended or revoked and they couldn't take that risk. So the risk of asking for help when you work in healthcare is sometimes too great of a risk. Mm -hmm. So people, you know, had to fly to another country <clears throat> to get the help that they needed. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And we were, you know, very happy to give it to them and get these people their lives back. Yeah, I've worked with a number of pilots, medical professionals, uh, first responders, all in the same same situation. Mm -hmm. uh, can't ask for help. Yeah. Police, law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are, there are so many so servants, attorneys as well. Attorneys, yeah. There are so mm -hmm. many public servants, people who are out there fighting the fight to keep to keep this thing going and helping other people all day long and can't themselves ask for help it's it's a yeah and those are the people i mean we need everybody healthy and on their game right i'm not saying some are more or less deserving but when mm -hmm. we look at the good to society our our people our public servants and our healers those are the people that we really need to have done their work and to be grounded and centered so that they can show up for the rest of society without projecting their stuff all over the place. Like, and this may be why we've had so many cases of police brutality coming up in recent years. Mm -hmm. You know, our police need healing mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. right? When you're holding that much for society, you know, you need to go deep with yourself. You need to clean that, clean up whatever's in that basement. Mm -hmm. yeah get some love mm -hmm. well. well you know I, I was god for years just like 
fuck the police kind of guy. Mm -hmm. and, and then I started working with a couple of police officers and um, the military veterans the same way and just started to realize that these these are these are actually really good people that went into this yeah. field to help. And yeah. they are carrying so much trauma. It, it, it's just astounding what a human can bear before yeah. they finally break. You know, we are incredibly powerful. So can you can you maybe talk a little bit more about that distinction between doctors and healers and then also maybe use that as a springboard to talk about the value of pharmaceuticals, which is something I know you had, had wanted to mm -hmm. bring into this conversation. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate the question about doctors versus healers. And it's, it's more of a, it's been more of a feeling for me than, than a, a train of thought that I've worked out. So maybe you can, you can actually help me with this, <laughs> this one. But I just had this insight one day of, you know, so I met someone and I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm a healer. And I was like, oh, what a beautiful word, a beautiful thing to do with your life. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm a doctor. And I was like, healer sounds way better. <laughs> and then I just started realizing, wow, I think, you know, 90 something percent of my colleagues in the medical industry are not healers. Mm. Um, there's a real issue with the compartmentalization of medicine. And when I say that, I mean, one, the compartmentalization of specialties. So when I tell someone, oh, I'm a doctor, they say, oh, what's your specialty? That's the always, it's mm. always the next question. What's mm. your specialty, right? So are you a doctor that treats ears, nose, and throat? Are you a doctor that treats the female reproductive system? Are you a doctor that just treats kids? Are you a doctor that just treats the anus and treats hemorrhoids? You know, like we've got the whole spectrum and we've broken it up. And then the other thing that we've done is therefore we have broken up the human. Mm -hmm. So I specialize in integrative mental health. Don't tell anyone this. I actually do everything, but I need something <laughs> to market. So I say I specialize in integrative mental health. And what do I do when people come to me with depression, anxiety, addictions, yada, 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 is I ask, what was your childhood like? How do you cope with stress? How are you sleeping? So I ask the questions related to their ailment, but then I say, how's your digestion? What are you eating? Do you eat in front of your computer or do you sit down and chew your food properly? How many times a day do you move your bowels? Do you get headaches? How are your energy levels? Has anyone ever checked your thyroid function? How's your sexual function? I'm asking because I want to understand sex hormones, right? How are your testosterone levels, et cetera? Um, have you ever been checked for heavy metal toxicity? Do your joints hurt? And sometimes I ask patients these questions, uh, in particular, the poop questions really get people kind of looking at me funny askance. They're like, I have depression. And then 20 minutes into the visit, I go, yeah, so how many times a day do you poop and what color is it? And they're like, uh, lady, <laughs> I'm here to talk about my brain. I'm like, yes, but 90% of your serotonin is made in your gut. Mm -hmm. And so when you compartmentalize the human, then you send someone with depression to the psychiatrist. Mm. And then the psychiatrist says, here's your Zoloft, have a nice life. Well, the issue is like that person has taken way too many rounds of antibiotics and drinks Coca-Cola and eats fast food and their gut is what actually needs to be healed. Mm -hmm. And the Zoloft can, can keep them functioning it can be a raft for them for those months that I'm going to need to clean up 
real cause of what's going on. And then once we've cleaned up the real cause of what's going on, then we can taper off the antidepressant. But that antidepressant can be a real, real life raft for that person in that time. And it absolutely, in my opinion, has a place in medicine. And that's something that, you know, to, to segue to, to the, the issue of the, the sort of divide between pharmaceuticals and psychedelics that I'm seeing. And I'm really seeing a lot of that divide being perpetrated by the psychedelic community. The psychedelic community can be very disparaging about the place and value of pharmaceutical medication. And while I think that pharmaceutical medication is overprescribed, definitely overprescribed, some people really do need it because you can't change every facet of your life. Even if you do psilocybin, at the end of the day, if you're a single mom working two jobs to support your three kids, life is just going to be hard and you might need a little raft to just help you bear it, right? And that's, what's, that's what pharmaceutical medications do is they affect 5-HT1A receptors. It's the kind of serotonin receptor that helps you cope. And psychedelics tend to more affect 5-HT2A receptors. And the 2A receptors are what help you adapt, what help you change your circumstances. The pharmaceuticals help you endure. And the dance between the two is important because there are some things in life that you can't change, that you just have to endure and not let them drag you down into the deep, dark pit, right? But the things that you do need to change Antidepressant medication may or may not engender those changes. But what pharmaceutical medication can do is increase something called the window of tolerance. So this is a term that we use a lot in treatment of people with post-traumatic stress disorder. And the window of tolerance refers to this range of emotion in which the person can handle what's coming their way without getting trauma triggered, without having an anxiety attack, without dissociating. It's this window of life in which the person can be present and lean in and interact with life. So the war vet who can't leave their house without having a panic attack and needs to take a bunch of benzos and hide under the bed on the 4th of July, that person has a narrow window of tolerance. And when you've got a narrow window of tolerance, it can actually be very challenging to heal because when you go to do something like engage in talk therapy or EMDR therapy or any other kind of approved you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, anything else that is sort of the, the treatment, if you have a narrow window of tolerance, the minute you start talking about what actually needs to get healed, Defenses go up. The person thinks that they are about to die, that they are under attack. Their autonomic nervous system shifts into the sympathetic, the fight, flight, or freeze. And you can't get in to heal the thing. And if, as a healthcare provider or as a therapist or a psychedelic therapist, if you're not careful in that moment, if you keep plowing through you can actually harm your patient. Mm -hmm. You can act not only trauma trigger them, but you can re-traumatize them and make them worse. Mm -hmm. And 
antidepressant medication can do if it's the right med at the right dose for the right person at the right time is it increases that person's window of tolerance so that they can engage, so that they can go to therapy without being a, a cat in the rafters the minute you talk about that thing that happened when you were eight or that thing that happened in Iraq or just that uneasy feeling that's been with you your whole life and you don't know why, whatever the thing is. Pharmaceuticals are by no means the only way to do this. MDMA is like no better molecule for that than MDMA, but that's, that one's not legal yet. We can't, we can't do that one yet. Um, so, um, yeah, and, and you know, I see a lot of people disparage pharmaceuticals and they say, oh, you know, that just makes people numb out. And it's like, well, cool, but what do you think you're doing when you smoke pot four times a day? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's another way that people increase their window of tolerance is with mm -hmm. cannabis, mm -hmm. right? But the hope is that you are leveraging that greater window to then actually do some transformational, deep cleaning feeling. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate your balanced perspective mm -hmm. on this. It's quite refreshing. I tend to, without realizing it, jump to a place often of pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. you know, just because I've heard so much about side effects and trying to get off of antidepressants. And so it is helpful for me to hear um, this very balanced uh, approach. Mm -hmm. I love what you're saying about leveraging mm -hmm. that window of time um, to yeah. make changes. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah. Get support. Know. Yeah. So I'm curious for you uh, as a physician and working with so many people that are coming to you uh, with um, these issues. Are you able to talk about psychedelics when you're seeing patients or like, how do you navigate that? Or do you? How do I dance? How do I dance? <laughs> dance? Um, I dance the dance and I pray. I pray hard, Courtney. Um, I have also had, now for someone that hasn't done psychedelics, this is going to sound super weird, um, but you're here to learn, right? I have also had conversations with the mushroom when I've been in the mushroom space. And I've said, I love you. I, I trust you. I can help a lot of people heal with you, but you need to have my back. Like you... Are you going to look out for me? Are you going to help me do this? Are you going to protect me? And, you know, that's not carte blanche for me to do a bunch of stupid stuff. But I do feel like I have a relationship with this medicine. And I do feel in some ways buoyed by that relationship, by that trusting relationship. Um, and, you know, according to the attorneys I've consulted, freedom of speech. So I am allowed to Tell, talk to patients about this work, but I'm don't give them the number of someone that can sell them mushrooms or uh, otherwise aid or abet illegal activity, right? Mm -hmm. But coming from a harm reduction standpoint, this is another issue with our healthcare system. People are learning about psychedelics through Joe Rogan, and God bless Joe Rogan but he's not a healthcare provider and he does not know everyone's unique medical milieu uh, or their personal history. And I don't think that people should be 
doing something based on what they heard on a podcast alone. I think they should be able to take that information, bring it back to somebody who knows them, who knows what the hell they're talking about and say, hey, I heard about this thing. What do you think? Is this a good fit for me? And so a lot of the, the, the people that I consult with, they say, I'm hearing about psychedelics. I want to do it. Which one? Which one? At what dose? In which, which way? And then it's very similar to someone coming and saying, I have depression. I want to go on medication. Which one? Right? You talk to them. You get a sense of their, their chemical makeup, the issues they're working with, how ready, willing, and able they are to engage in their own healing. Are they someone that's going to freak out once they get in the trip space? All right, maybe microdosing is a better fit for them, right? And, and exploring in that way. So coming from a, a harm reduction standpoint is I actually do feel like I'm doing harm reduction when patients bring these questions to me. And I'm talking about these matters with a level head. 20%? 15, 20% of the people that I talk to who are thinking about doing psychedelics, I tell them I don't think that psychedelics are a good fit for where they're at in their life at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, like their situation isn't stable. They don't have a good support network. I'm seeing some signs of maybe mania or they're going through such a stressful time that I think one little straw could push them into a manic state. Mm -hmm. So you know, that's where having healthcare providers who know about this stuff, I think is, is really important. Um, so I'm, there's, there's that first rule of medicine, first do no harm. That's my Hippocratic oath, first do no harm. And I think that talking, having intelligent, nuanced, balanced conversations about psychedelics with my patients is first do no harm. Mm -hmm. And that's why I created my, my whole course for, healthcare providers, because it on average, it takes, they say it takes 17 years after the research shows something before it actually gets integrated into the average doctor's day-to-day -day practice. Mm -hmm. and I, don't, I don't think we have 17 years here. We have a huge mental health epidemic right now. We were mm -hmm. at a crisis point. Mm -hmm. Before the pandemic, it was something like 20% of people who had a mental health disorder, and it's only gotten worse since the pandemic started. Um, so, you know, a lot of the work that I do, I've actually, sh I still see patients, but I've shifted a lot of my energy toward educating, yes, other healthcare providers. And um, so I developed a course called The Science of Psychedelic. You don't have to be a healthcare provider to take it, but um, I fought really hard to get it approved for continuing medical education, continuing education mm. to sort of entice psychiatrists and um, primary care doctors and other practitioners and say, hey, look, your patients have questions about this stuff and you, you need to have the answers. Whether you like psychedelics or not, you need to be able to talk about this other than what's going to make you go crazy and then, you know, alienating your patients. Um, it's time. It's time to, to get the medical community up to snuff on this. Two things. Um, one thing before I forget, you saying... Um, you have a conversation with the mushroom is another huge breath of fresh air. I mean, it, that is a difficult thing to say. <laughs> it's a difficult thing for us to say in public. And I can imagine how it could be even more difficult to say as uh, a physician in, uh, you know, the medical community um, because of judgment about like, 
like you said, are you crazy? You talk to fungus, really? <laughs> uh, but we know what that means. Um, and so I appreciate you saying that out loud uh, here. <clears throat> and also, I want to say I almost cried this morning while I was looking through your course that you put together mm -hmm. and thinking about all of the um, healthcare providers that will take it and how many people will benefit, how many of their patients will benefit from this course. I mean, I have wanted so many times to talk to my various doctors uh, over the past 10 years about my spiritual practice with mushrooms and there's no way <laughs> I have felt comfortable with that. So just thinking of being able to do that um, is really amazing. So thank you for all mm -hmm. the hard work that you've done putting this together. It looks incredible. Thanks. I feel very seen right now, Courtney. Thank you. Really appreciate it. It really was a labor of love. I, I poured a lot into it. Um, I'm really happy with how it came out. My only gripe is that it's like a pre-recorded online course, but you know, we had a pandemic on our hands, so. <laughs> we do so much. <laughs> yeah, that was what, um, what I had to work with. I tried to make it as not boring as possible. <laughs> I think I did it, a good job. <laughs> yeah, it looks amazing. I want to take it. And I, I want you to be my physician. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I hope you do take it and people listening are welcome to take it and happy to yeah. offer um, a discount to the listeners if, if that feels all right to you folks. And if so, what do you want your discount code to be? Uh, can, can we can we go back to this conversation with the mushroom mm -hmm. because what that has really turned into for me is an acknowledgement that i'm having a conversation with what's behind the mushroom there's mm -hmm. so there's so much in everything that you just talked about that i would love to expand on um the filtering the compartmentalization of psychedelics is happening the pharmaceuticalization of psychedelics is happening but this this as a physician being able to touch on the spiritual side of the human is something that feels like is sorely missing mm -hmm. if we could use that as a way for you to share as much as you're comfortable with your relationship with spirituality and how the mushrooms serve as an interface for that and, and how that how you perceive that contributing to healing oh wow yeah that's a gorgeous gorgeous prompt eric well before i went into medicine in my undergraduate education i was a double major in english literature and religious studies mm. um so religion and spirituality have always been something that have been with me. Um, I was raised by Russian immigrants who left Russia because they were Jewish and that country was hostile to people who were Jewish. So there was a pursuit of religious freedom of just being who you are. Um, and that has been with me since childhood of that being free to have whatever relationship with source that I want to have or that you want to have or that a person needs to have for them to press into life in the most beautiful way possible. 
that's something that I, I hold very dear to me. There, there was a, a split second in my life where I considered becoming a rabbi, just a, like a split second. It was maybe a day. And then I realized, you know, my life is going to be weddings, bar mitzvahs, and funerals. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I let it go. But in healthcare, you're considered very cutting edge and like very, yeah, edgy is the word, uh, if you do mind-body medicine. Ooh, mind body medicine. That's so cool. Like if a, if a hospital has a mind body medicine department, like they, they really got it going on. Well, what's missing in mind body medicine is the soul. Hello. <laughs> like we are not just, the body is not just a vehicle for shuttling around the brain people. The soul is, is what makes the magic happen, you know, and our, our, souls need our bodies and brains our brains and our bodies need our soul the three need each other mm -hmm. to work and yes your soul is here in this body for your human experience this is the only body you get and this is the only brain you get you don't get to trade it in every three years like you do a leased car this is it this is your vessel for your human experience and this vessel is what helps you listen to music. It's what helps you cry at commercials. It's what helps you have a group hug. It's what helps you eat papaya on a beach and feel the sand on your toes. It's what gives you the brain that finds things interesting, that wants to learn about quantum physics, whatever the thing is. So why would you not need to take care of this body? And why would you not need to take care of this brain? And so, so the role of a doctor is very important. Because even if a doctor is completely divorced from spirituality, they're helping you take care of your vessel. And that vessel is going to directly feed back into the beauty of your human experience. But the flip side is also true. The point of this vessel is to house your spirit. And your spirit only gets so many years here on earth having a human experience. And what does your spirit want to do in its time here? Does it really want to be working in a call center? Does it really want to be managing a hedge fund? Maybe it does, maybe it does, but make sure that it does. Mm. And so something that I found very missing in, my, in the tools in my toolkit, strategies to help heal, heal people's souls. And sometimes I would see the discordance. Like, for example, I had a patient who she had issues with her periods being very heavy. Her periods were happening too close together and too heavy. I worked her up for blood clotting disorder. Uh, we did ultrasounds to see if there was a tumor, polyp, anything else in the air. Everything was coming back normal. But I knew this woman was deeply unhappy with her job and her marriage. And one day I said to her, you know, sweetheart, I think your uterus is crying the tears that mm. your eyes are not shedding. You hate your job. You feel completely unseen and unloved in your marriage. And also this woman, her, her husband, quote unquote, sort of made her get a tubal ligation before she was ready to do that. So there was a wounding in that part of her body. She wasn't ready to close that door. It's like, I think your uterus is crying, mm. you know? Mm. And Fortunately, she was the kind of patient who could hear that. But then when I say stuff like that to other kinds of patients, they're like, 
this lady's weird, you know? And then like they go leave a bad review on Yelp. By the way, I think <laughs> doctors should not be on Yelp. You know, you, cannot, you deny a drug-seeking patient an OxyContin prescription and they leave you a bad review on Yelp and it hurts your business. Like, that's a whole other podcast topic. But, wow. um, but uh, yeah, and, and sometimes it's like, I can see it, I can see it. And I'm, I keep pointing it out to the person. I'm like, here's this thing that keeps coming up because you're not living in harmony with what your soul wants and your soul wants it so bad that I across, not even the table, but Zoom can see what it is your soul wants that you're not letting yourself have. And it doesn't matter how good my counseling skills are, you are just not ready to see this thing yet. And that's when I throw up my hands and I'm like, I don't know, go talk to the mushrooms. <laughs> and then they come back and they're like, You'll never guess. <laughs> no, I'll yeah. never guess what the mushrooms will do. Tell me, what did they tell you? And then they, they tell me, and I'm like, I don't even take notes. I'm like, mm -hmm, okay. Um, and sometimes I actually am surprised because I don't know, you know. Um, so yeah, to to your point, I think what's what's missing in in medicine is the soul. Is any soul, any talk of the soul, any appreciation for this, any reverence? For the soul as this entity that is having the human experience the whole point of having the vessel is the soul and mm -hmm. i don't i can't help people get their souls back that's why that's why we need medicines like psilocybin you know and i i saw this sign when i was getting trained uh, when i did my my reiki attunement in india there was a sign on the wall that said i treat god cures and so, you know, maybe the word healer is a little presumptuous and it's a little arrogant, you know. I don't I don't cure people. Their inner their inner healers cure them. Plant medicines can help catalyze that, but everyone has an innate healing ability and I sort of see my job as helping people remove the obstacles and align with the things that are going to help them. Yeah. Come someone, back. Someone told me once that I was I was a Sherpa and I didn't know what that was. And then I looked it up and I was like, Oh mm -hmm. yeah, I just help people get to where they want, they're already trying to go. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think that psychedelic medicine is also forgetting about the soul in a lot of ways? Mm. Or not, I'm sorry, not medicine, but the, the industry, the industry, the he, the quote healing community. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it might be. Um, certainly might be. I, I went to a, a psychedelic conference recently where got to say there were a lot of white middle-aged men in suits who had never done a psychedelic before mm -hmm, mm -hmm. having a lot of deals and a lot of side rooms. And I don't think that's inherently a bad thing, but I think that, uh, I get nervous when I hear people talking about like, Oh, we we've tweaked this psychedelic so that we've taken the trip out of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, hmm. Okay. But trip is what makes these medicines far superior to the other drugs we have, mm -hmm. right? That trip in which I saw my sister taking Sharps's hand and then felt the medicine in my inner healer working together to do the same to my psyche changed my life. So if I had taken a modified strain of psilocybin that removes the trip, I don't know that I would have gotten as much out of it. Mm -hmm. Kind of reminds me of one of those. <laughs> have you ever seen one of those machines from like 
the seventies that you stand on and it's got a belt and it jiggles oh. and it's supposed to like get the fat off of you without you actually doing anything. Without you needing to work for it at all. And everybody knows those don't work. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, yeah. even, even, you know, like the, our involvement in, in the one Oh nine, which this will, be, will have a, an opportunity for you to talk about that coming up, you know, and, our involvement with sanctuary and this very direct, you know, we're being very direct about spirituality in our psychedelic practice now, which wasn't necessarily the case before. Mm -hmm. And it, it has me looking at psychedelics as a whole, you know, maps has done incredible work Hefter foundation, all these organizations that have done incredible work to help move the needle forward for psychedelics. But when you start talking about, a religious psychedelic interface people kind of you know pull back and yeah. I mean, religion is a triggering word for sure but the spiritual even the spirituality of psychedelics seems to be to me in in large parts there seems to be a disconnect and we're yeah. talking we're talking about psychedelics as it is if you know it's purely this chemical bonding of the serotonin receptors and this is why now your psychology is better. And it, it has, I've kind of had this understanding as of late, you know, it's been always evolving, but there was a session that I did recently where it really became very clear to me that these, they're working backwards. We, we think that they're mm -hmm. working from the brain or the physiology out. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think most people are even not able to talk about this, the energy body and the, the, the auric field that they're working on. But what I understand now, or I feel like I understand more clearly is that it's actually primarily working on the bioelectromagnetic field. And that is filtering back into the physiology. So it's, you know, anyway, you, know. you're talking like someone that eats mushrooms, dude. Once or twice. You know, I, I think what we've seen paralleled is we have this separation of the mind and body, right? And that Descartes, I think, therefore I am, like, you know, all up here. So not only is there separation of mind and body, but also in our culture, we have separation of church and state. Mm which has its merits, mm -hmm. but in a culture that so emphasizes the separation of church and state, what have we lost? Oh, there it is again, the soul, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. spirit, mm -hmm. the fact that everyone walking around has a soul kicking around in that body. <laughs> like it or not, you know, whether we're allowed to talk about it in school or not, it's there. And so when you've got a culture in which people are divorced, not only their minds and bodies, but also their human vessels from their souls, we got a problem. We've got a big problem. And, you know, yeah, religion is makes people uncomfortable. I know all about that. I practice a religion and it makes other people uncomfortable and I watch them squirm and it sucks, you know? Tough shit for them. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, and it's not that it's necessarily it's making them uncomfortable, mm. but yeah. their yeah, response to it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, sorry, yeah. sorry. Of uncomfort. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Science is a religion. 
Mm, yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And science and research is the religion of our culture. Yes. So if you want to move the needle on this level of healing, you're going to have a lot more success through the angle of science and research. And that is why God bless Matthew Johnson and everyone else at Johns Hopkins, bless Tim Ferriss and MAPS for funding this research. The research is showing that there is huge merit to this work. Mm-hmm. And so I actually think science is going to be our gateway drug to spirituality. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's the research shows mysticism, the mystical experience right. is what facilitates the healing that came up in the, we were, we were part of the one, the 109 conversation last night on yes. zoom. Um, oh, and uh, that was, a, that was a big part of the conversation that yeah. the mystical experience. Uh, so anyway, let's, let's talk about uh, your, your work within 109, if we could. And sure. maybe, you know, right now 109 is trying to, thanks to John Dennis, is is trying to pull in a religious protection mm-hmm. under the therapeutic legalization so yeah i think yeah which i i hope that plays out i hope that that works in <clears throat> in that direction so 109 for people who aren't familiar with that for me it's like i say it in my sleep but and then i realize <laughs> when i talk to people and they're like what is, what's 109 what <laughs> um so ballot measure 109 was a ballot measure that was masterminded by a beautiful couple, Tom and Cherie Eckert. Uh, Cherie is actually in the spirit world now, but Tom carries the torch here in the human world. Um, for, I want to say about 10 years ago, Tom and Cherie said, you know, let's write a ballot measure and get psilocybin accessible to Oregonians. And through tireless effort, this got turned into a ballot measure, ballot measure 109, which made psilocybin services legal. There is a gigantic dog that just walked on my porch. <laughs> All right. Know how I that works. I hope it's, he's friendly. Hi, food. He looks bony. Sorry. I'm having a little bit of healthy fear right now. There's healthy fear and unhealthy fear. I'm sorry, yeah. folks. Okay. Do you want to scare yeah. him off? We can always edit. Right <laughs> out. Oh no, this is great. This is real. This is real I kind of want to show yeah. him to you. Oh yeah. We probably, probably know him. Yeah. We He's know a that. big boy. Yeah. We know that dog. What's it's, his name? It's one of Paolo's dogs. I don't know what his name is, but it's, um, it's one of Paolo's. The black one? Okay. Yeah. He's got a collar, but he is rail thin. I can see all his bones sticking out. Hi pooch slash don't approach me. <laughs> okay. So um, I think, I think we're all right. He's a, he's big. He's a big boy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's one of Palos. So okay. He's good. He's good. <laughs> yeah. Understood. All right. Yeah. You go that way. If more um, dogs start showing up, yeah, yeah. Like, more show up. Then. Do something about it. <laughs> That's when I start getting nervous. Is when it's a pack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So, so ballot measure 109, the way in which it was created was it's not, oh, you can go into a shop and buy psilocybin mushrooms and go home and eat a bunch of them and freak out in your living room. Um, It's that you need to go to a licensed service center um, and speak with a licensed facilitator who does an intake and the screening. um, And then actually you take the mushrooms on the premises of the licensed service center with your licensed facilitator there with you for the duration of the whole trip. And then there is uh, the offering of integration counseling on the back end. 
And what's very interesting about the way in which the ballot measure was written was that it really de-emphasized the medicalization of the medicine. So to be a psilocybin facilitator, you do not have to be a licensed social worker or therapist. You don't have to be a doctor. You need to have high school diploma or GED equivalent and completed a training program in psilocybin facilitation. And as to access it as, I'm not, I can't, I'm not even going to use the word patient, but to access it as a human that wants to take mushrooms, you do not have to have any specific diagnoses. And you, in fact, you can go to a service center and say, the only reason I want to do this is spiritual exploration and curiosity. And, and that's it. By taking the medicalization out of it, it makes it a lot more accessible. And it does acknowledge that, hey, you don't have to be sick to do this work. And you don't have to have a label given to you by a broken healthcare system to go even deeper with your learning, growth, and healing. And so I was, by the way, it passed. Yay! Uh, so it takes effect in January 2023, the state right now to actually get this program together. While we were ramping up to the November elections, the pandemic really hurt the, the efforts, but thank goodness it passed anyways. But as we were ramping up, um, I was one of the healthcare providers that really, I really stuck my neck out pretty far <laughs> in support of this ballot measure and um, spoke out on behalf of it, gave some talks, free talks to the public about psilocybin. Because once people understand this work, they tend to support it. And when they don't believe in this work, it's typically because they just have a lot of stigma around it and they don't understand it. So education was really a big power tool in getting this ballot measure passed. And now that it has passed, like we got to scurry and train this army because right. we're going to have people flocking to Oregon and people coming from even within Oregon who want psilocybin services. And we got to train our facilitators. So um, I am the, the lead uh, educator at, or one of the lead educators at a program called Inner Trek. Uh, and the director of Inner Trek is Tom Eckert who wrote the ballot measure for 109. Um, and we are building that plane as it's going down the runway. The Oregon Health Authority is gonna be reviewing the application for our program, for all the programs in May. And we hope to open in June or July. So it's like, bam, 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 bam. Like we're making it happen. Um, and yeah, and I gotta say, I might be a little biased here, our program's really good. <laughs> we, we meet every other week. We have such a solid team uh, from diverse backgrounds. And um, yeah, we, we're, our facilitators are, are going to be ready. I think they're going to do a great job. And we haven't even started accepting applications yet. And we've already been snowed with inquiries. So people want this. It's happening. Hopefully we won't flub it up for the rest of the country. <laughs> I don't think we will. I mean, the rest of the country is really looking at Oregon right now to see how we do this. Yeah. 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 It seems really well organized. And, you know, the meetings that we've been a part of, obviously people are very passionate. I feel like most, I feel like a vast majority of the people who are on these calls are actually working with psilocybin mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's, it's really exciting. So I, I can't believe that we're here looking at this a state in the U.S. that's legalized psilocybin. So, so one of the most impressive aspects of at least the religious uh, met addendum that we're seeing, and I think it's part of 109 itself, is that not the the 
facilitator who is leading, but it is expected that some of the support people will also be on psilocybin themselves, will be able to take mushrooms alongside the people that they're supporting. And I'm really interested in what your thoughts are around that in terms of as a facilitator, healer, whatever the term is we're going to use, consuming the medicine alongside the, the client and maybe what, if any benefit there would be to that. Hmm. I mean, I think historically that's how it has been done in certain indigenous cultures, in particular with ayahuasca, hmm. um, Amazonian psychedelic medicine. I mean, some ayahuasca uh, curanderos, their patients don't even take the medicine. It's the curandero who takes the ayahuasca and then does the healing. Mm -hmm. So um, I personally don't don't do that and don't think I will. I I have a real particular. I'm I'm not subtle in any of my opinions, as you've probably noticed. Um, <laughs> I I have a real strong feeling that if somebody is is coming for healing, they're not coming for the Doctor Zelfan show. You know, they're coming, they're coming to connect with their own inner healer and their own spirit. And then when you add in psilocybin into that mix, then that is a beautiful merging of that person's inner healer and the psilocybin spirit medicine. And I really see my role as ground control. You know, like I, I tell, I tell folks here in Jamaica, you know, if you're an astronaut just floating around the cosmos, I'm Houston, you know, I'm navigating this time space default world continuum for you so that you don't have to worry about do you need to stay tethered do you need to keep a foot in this world you go and you do your work hmm. and for me i don't know that i would be as effective of a houston if i was on the now somebody else who maybe has a, a different relationship with the medicine who isn't quite as much of a lightweight as i am i can, if i drink half a glass of wine i turn bright red and tell everyone how pretty they are and then i fall asleep under the table so like i'm <laughs> lightweight you know that relationship might be different for somebody else i really trust that everyone has an inner healer inside of them and i really trust that the medicine has a spirit that wants to help that person heal. Now, that being said, I have had psychedelic trips where I've been away from patients. I've been, you know, in my own private life where I've had insights and aha moments on how I could really help somebody. Mm -hmm. And I have taken those back to my practice and gotten beautiful results mm -hmm. with those insights that I've gotten. So I don't know, maybe there is an opportunity there, but it's not one that I feel like I, I wanna grasp onto. In, in the immediate future. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts about that? How, how, what's, what's your experience been in that regard? I think that there is a definite need for a kind of ground control person, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important aspect of the process um, for multiple reasons. For, for my personal experience, I know that I am, I'm better at my work when I'm fully immersed in it. You know, I've started to understand psilocybin as not just a tool for helping to heal myself, but as a tool to help me understand reality better, right? Like it, it, it allows me to get a better picture of what is really going on. And then that allows a greater utility. You know, we, I think that like, like we limit ourselves to thinking that we're just this physical body. 
we limit ourselves to thinking that that like all we can do is like pick things up and move in a kind of a Newtonian manner. Um, and so to be able to access, to be more aware of these ephemeral parts of ourself and then to gain greater access to them can allow us at a certain point to use those tools more effectively. I remember one time down there, how many times have I thought I had lost my marbles on mushrooms that I had broken my brain and there was no going back. But there was a time down there when I realized that place, that place of insanity, quote, insanity, was one of the most utilitarian places within the psychedelic space and that I could actually leave my body and go and be of help to others along their way. And it's still, it's still very much a lot of the same stuff, right? It's just like supporting people as they move towards their own healing, but it is doing it with a, an aspect of myself that I'm usually not able to be in touch with, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you ever feel like coming from that place, you may be interfering with what that. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, but even as ground control, you can be interfering, right? So it's exceedingly important to always pull back. Like you, I'm always pulling back. You have to have permission. You have to have permission and you can communicate with that aspect of the person without words and they can allow permission and permission can be granted incrementally. They can, they can say to you on that psychic level, like, okay, I'm, I'm okay this much or this much, or sometimes it's like, please help. I need all the help I can get. I'm opening wide up. There's this Australian lady I work with down there who she ended up staying for two weeks. Her first week, she, she made a lot of progress, but she needed more. And by the end of her third dose on the second retreat, it, it was just the most incredible. And it's so humbling. It's such an honor when people do allow us to help in those ways. But she like granted this, this permission for me to help just get in there and shovel the fucking coal. You know what I'm saying? Her basement was just so dirty and she needed an extra hand to get in there and dig out the dirt. And so we went in together and worked and it's just a beautiful thing to participate in. And it's something that I feel like we don't have an understanding for it in our medical psychedelic, even in a lot of our psychedelic conversations, you know, we're still looking at these experiences as a, an individual psychological process when we are all one being, we are all one. And my, my experience is anyone, anytime anyone heals from anything, they're helping the entire collective heal. Amen. Yeah. I think that's, um, a pretty big distinction in the private one-on-one type of sacrament space or mushroom space versus the communal, the community experience. I think even if you're not there as a practitioner or facilitator of the space, you can end up really holding space for somebody else in the mushroom space. And again, all of this vocabulary is so it, it can be hard to wrap our minds around around in this consciousness. Um, so I can see how like Eric's description, I'm I'm so used to this 
vocabulary that I'm like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And then I step outside, I try and be an outsider. And I'm like, shovel the coals in the basement of this person's <laughs> reality. What are you talking about? Um, so it's hard to understand. Um, I mean, we store information see, but, in our hmm. electromagnetic field, period. We store trauma, we store history. And it's not just our personal history. So much of you know, sickness, if you will, seems to come from a stagnancy, if not all of sickness is from this kind of stagnancy. We can access this this measurable electromagnetic field. And one day, I mean, I, I, I long for the day when I can like take mushrooms and somebody monitor this shit. Like, cause I'm, I, I feel like I, I know that I have gotten to a point where like I can identify certain functions and say, all right, let's do this with this right now. Uh, I, I hope that we do develop tools and, and ways to understand this so that we can then really have a scientific explanation for out-of-body experiences, for bilocation, for the purging of other people's trauma, for all the, the stuff that the shamans talked about or the traditional practitioners talked about. It is real. We're, um, I guess we're kind of coming close to our time yeah. here. There's so much I want to ask you, Erica. <laughs> we just opened this very juicy box here. And yeah, it's well, really I, I, big. I've been telling Courtney, every time we get off the call, a call at you and I, Erica, I'm like, it's like, and she's fucking badass. Like this, this coaching is, and I think. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was Thank really you. excited to talk with you. So hopefully mm -hmm. we can do more podcasts. I love that. Yeah, we're just skimming the very yeah. tippy tippy top of the oh, surface yeah. on this one. So well, the, um, the badass in me bows to the badasses in you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's a delight to talk with you too. Group hugs. So can you tell people listening more about um, where to find you? Sure. So uh, my website is drzelfand.com. Z-E-L-F-A-N-D. drzelfand.com. Uh, my course is scienceofpsychedelics.com. And then we'll give you a nice discount if you use the coupon code psilocybin says at checkout. Make sure you spell psilocybin right. A lot of people mess it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I am, will be teaching for people who want to become licensed psilocybin facilitators through Inner Trek. So innertrek.org in Oregon. We, God willing, open this summer. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and my handle for everything is for social media is at drzelfand. So come say Perfect. hi. Perfect. The many formats that we've got. <laughs> we'll so many. we'll so link all of we'll link all of that below. And uh, I want to say thank you again for not only being here with us today, but sticking your neck out as you said, um, as you've done so often. I think um, and getting the word out there and helping helping our community. Yeah. get access so you've already told us that the mushroom talks to you so go ahead and tell our listeners what does psilocybin say to you Dr. <laughs> <laughs> it says put down the scissors Oh, oh love it. Love it. wow. That was good. <laughs> that is going to make for an interesting episode title that will probably uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll gain an audience this just by good. that title alone. <laughs> you don't even, don't even hesitate on that one. I love it. I mean, you know, I actually had something because I've been thinking about this like in the shower. I'm like, they're going to ask me. Like, I've been, super, I've been like stressing about this. I'm like, what am I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> and that was not what I thought I was going to say, but that's, 
probably the most valuable thing that it has said <laughs> to me thus far in my life. So that's amazing. Love it. Love it. Well, you can say you can save the other one for the next interview. <laughs> yeah. And, and just before we go, I have to share this funny story um, real quick. So after um, our mutual friends, Derek and Emma were here, um, I found myself at Sally's Beauty Supply. Uh, I know this seems really random, but I'm, I'm getting some stuff to do my nails before we go to Costa Rica. And, uh, this lady taps me on the shoulder and she's like, uh, ma'am. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, uh, this is really awkward, but I just need to tell you, you have googly eyes on your butt. (laughs) And, And I'm like, what? And I, I reached out and I'm like, oh my gosh. So <laughs> the legacy lives on. Yeah. My cell phone is covered with googly eyes now. <laughs> right. Derek and Emma shared with us. Yeah, they yeah, passed on the legacy yeah. of the bag of googly eyes and our children have been well, our our five-year-old son has been sticking them all over the house and I just keep finding them. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. So for so for Thank people who for aren't that. in on the inside joke, um, this is this is my tag. So um, I just started sticking googly eyes on people to prank them, um, not on people, but like on their things, <laughs> and in ways that they would not find them until after I had left. And so they like, for example, I was house sitting at my friend Frank's house and he, on his Joni Mitchell blue CD, I stuck googly eyes over her eyes and then like on some family photos, portraits that were up. And and then uh, I I brought, I brought the tradition to Derek and Emma. Um, I stuck a googly third eye on their Buddha statue, things like that. Um, And I'm just, sounds like they have now brought the beauty of the googly eye to your home. And we'll be sharing it as well. Oh, yeah. 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 Spread it through the mycelial network. That's right. Maybe the googly eye becomes code, you know, like like the rainbow is the symbol for, you know, the LGBT community. Right. Googly eye eye will be. One thing we we didn't we didn't talk about the value of humor and laughter and healing and the Mm -hmm. mushroom experience, but that is a big thing Mm -hmm. that I think I think think that you uh, seem to bring to the table. So, oh yeah, much appreciated and yeah, much love. It's uh, really been great just getting to know you even more, Erica, and look forward to continuing the relationship. Thanks so much for having me. This was. <laughs> All right, have a great day. And right. the beating of the drum. Bye.